0: Hello and welcome. I'm Frank Lavallo and this is Novel Conversations. This week's Novel Conversation is about the novel Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. And I'm going to talk about Sense and Sensibility with our Novel Conversations readers, Jennifer Weinbrecht and Pat Fernberg. Jennifer, Pat, welcome to Novel Conversations.
1: Hi. Hi, Frank.
0: Jennifer, I know you've read Sense and Sensibility many times. I think you told me somewhere between 15 and 50. Do you remember the first time you read it?
1: The first time I read it was probably in my early 20s.
0: And, Pat, do you recall the first time you read Sense and Sensibility?
1: I actually read it in high school. I had already read Pride and Prejudice, and I thought, well, I'd like to see what else she's written. So I did.
0: And did you like it as much or a little less than Pride and Prejudice?
1: At the time, because I was about the same age as the characters, I really identified with it.
0: Are you also in that somewhere between 15 and 50 reading category? Oh, yes. Let me just give a quick (laughs) introduction to the novel Sense and Sensibility, and then we'll talk about the story. Sense and Sensibility is the story essentially of two sisters, Marianne and Eleanor. One with more sense than sensibility, and the other with more sensibilities than sense. How these two sisters interact with each other, with their friends and family, and with the men they love and who love them, makes up the bulk of our novel Sense and Sensibility. Now, Pat, do you agree one sister has more sense than sensibility and the other more sensibilities than sense?
1: I think it's the way they express themselves. It's not one having an abundance of something and a lack of something else. It's more in the way they view the world and more in the way they relate to that world.
0: Okay, Eleanor is the older sister, Marianne is the younger sister. Jennifer, do you remember who you identified yourself with when you first read Sense and Sensibility?
2: I think probably Eleanor.
0: We all wanted to be a little bit more sensible, a little smarter. A
2: little
1: bit more reserved,
2: a little bit more
1: polite.
0: Pat, how about you? What keeps bringing you back to Sense and Sensibility?
1: I think it's the humor. There's sly wit in all of it. Jane Austen is ironic about things. And the other thing is that you know these characters. You've dated them, you've married them, you've raised them as your kids, you work with them, you play with them. So all of these observations are from real people and real life.
0: Now, of course, I haven't read as much Jane Austen as you have, but to me, the humor, the irony, and even the sarcasm in this book was a little bit more muted than in some of the other novels of Jane Austen's that I've read. Would you agree? That's true. The sarcasm is not quite as biting or directed at individuals. It's maybe directed a little bit more at her society in this novel, whereas in some of the other novels, the sarcasm really seems to be directed at people, at characters. I
2: don't know. I think there's some excellent sarcasm in here. There's some great (laughs) moments. I didn't say there
0: was none. (laughs) I just felt it was maybe a little gentler, a little more muted than in some of her other novels.
2: We have some characters in this book who really turn out to be greedy, selfish, and nothing more than that. Very shallow people, just like people we all know. And she's very biting in her attacks on them.
1: And the conversations between husbands and wives are loaded with the kind of interchanges that are actually very funny. But when you're in the middle of those interchanges yourself, they're a little tense. (laughs)
0: Why don't you start us off, Jennifer, on how this novel opens and how we meet the Dashwood family, which includes our two characters, Eleanor and Marianne.
2: Well, the novel begins with a story about how this family becomes destitute. The introduction involves really the family background. Essentially, the two girls' father dies, and they have to look for a new place to live. His son, by his first marriage, and his wife move into their estate, And while they're living there all together, they start to look for some place that they can move to.
0: Right. As the eldest son, he inherits the family home and essentially has the right to put out his mother and his half-sisters.
2: The older sister, Eleanor, is really, even though she's only 19, sort of the leader of the family as far as making sense of things and figuring out what they really need to do. And her mother relies on her heavily for advice during this period.
0: Right. Eleanor is the sense of our sense and sensibility novel.
1: Right. But she's not stuffy. She has good sense. She is practical. She focuses on the point of things.
0: And contrast that with her sister Marianne, who's a couple years younger.
1: Well, as the book
2: states, Marianne's abilities were in many respects quite equal to Eleanor's. She was sensible and clever, but eager in everything. Her sorrows, her joys could have no moderation,
1: She was everything but prudent.
0: Pat, where you said Eleanor was reserved, Marianne is certainly not reserved.
1: No, Marianne feels that everything that enters her mind, everything that comes into her heart should be out in the open, that you shouldn't cover anything up, you shouldn't restrain your language, that if you feel it, you say it, you do it. Where Eleanor is
2: very concerned about what other people think about her and her family, and she's very concerned about proper manners and behaving correctly and not being rude to anyone, Marianne could care less.
0: But it's Eleanor essentially who convinces her mother that they need to move to a smaller cottage away from the half-brother and his wife.
1: Right. There's a lot of strain between the sister-in-law and the mother, and it's difficult for the mother, because she's been recently widowed. She's got three children to look after. Mrs. Dashwood is also very emotional.
0: Well, she's mourning at the moment.
1: Yeah. She's not
2: really interested in controlling her mourning, she's interested in living it. And there's
1: an additional problem. The daughter in law's brother, Edward, has come to stay with them temporarily. And apparently, there's a growing relationship between Eleanor and Edward. The sister-in-law doesn't like it, so it's another part of the tension between the sister-in-law and the mother. And it's actually
2: the sister-in-law's comment to Eleanor's mother about this relationship and the disapproval that the family will have of this relationship that causes Mrs. Dashwood to realize that it is time to move.
0: Now, you mentioned they were destitute. They weren't really destitute when they had to make this move.
2: No, but in terms of the society that they were part of, they were moving from a huge estate to an income that could not support the kind of lifestyle that a person would consider genteel in those days.
0: Right. It would only support two maids, two servants, and one horseman.
2: Well, Fanny Dashwood says, they will live so cheap, their housekeeping will be nothing at all. They will have no carriage, no horses, and hardly any servants. They will keep no company
1: and can have no expenses of any kind.
0: So they do make this move to this smaller cottage, and they're happy.
1: Well, it appeals to Marianne's sense of wildness and turmoil and all this, because it's in the country. The problem is the only people they know are this relative Sir John Middleton, who has allowed them to live on his property at a very, very low rent, and his wife, who is a very cold woman, and his mother-in-law, who is completely without self-restraint.
0: She's a Marianne grown old.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) And that's
0: Mrs. Jennings.
1: And Mrs. Jennings can't control her tongue, and she loves to tease. In addition, she really believes that young people should be out having fun. So she does everything she can to not only provide them with fun, but to provide them with husbands.
0: But when they move to this Barton cottage, their world is essentially, as you said, just the Middletons, Mrs. Jennings. And we should say there's actually a third daughter, Margaret. We only hear about her. We never actually see or hear from Margaret very much in the novel. Yes. So their world has shrunk, as you said.
2: However, their world is about to get a little bit larger with the introduction of two gentlemen in the neighborhood, one of whom, Colonel Brandon, is a good friend of Sir John Middleton and a very eligible bachelor at the age of 35, never married. Mrs. Jennings, whose business it is to get everyone who is not married married as fast as she can, has decided that Colonel Brandon is in love with Mary Ann, which is a shocking
1: idea to 17-year-old Marianne. Marianne Mary, Ann. Mary Ann is convinced that he is old and infirm at
0: 35.
1: 35? She said, Colonel Brandon is certainly younger than Mrs. Jennings, but he's old enough to be my father. And if he were ever animated enough to be in love, must have outlived every sensation of the kind.
0: Marianne actually says he might as well marry a nurse at his age.
1: That's right. And of course, her mother objects because Colonel Brandon is only five years younger than she is.
0: What about Colonel Brandon? Is he in love with Marianne? Do we know that yet?
1: He's certainly attracted
2: to her.
0: What does Eleanor think of Colonel Brandon? Do we know that?
2: Eleanor seems to esteem him and respect him right away. Mrs. Jennings thinks she knows a lot about Colonel Brandon. There's something mysterious about his past, something romantic that she knows about him or believes that she knows
1: about him. Unfortunately, Mrs. Jennings can't restrain herself and she keeps pushing them together in the hope of making this love connection between one of the two girls, especially Marianne. And it becomes
2: a big joke between Mrs. Jennings and Sir John Middleton, who enjoys these types of things, which highly annoys Mrs. Jennings' daughter, his wife, Lady Middleton, who wants everything to be proper all the time. So she just can't stand it when they go on like that.
0: But Jennifer, you said we were going to meet two men from the village, and actually the second man we meet is more suitable for Marianne, or at least Marianne thinks so.
2: Very suitable for Marianne. It doesn't hurt that their first meeting is like something out of a gothic novel. Well, you
0: called her a drama queen. It's quite a dramatic introduction.
2: Marianne loves to go for long walks, and she and Margaret go for a walk one day. It begins to rain, and they start to run home down a hill. Marianne falls, can't get up, and suddenly here appears a man walking along with his shotgun and his two-pointers. He sees her in distress doesn't wait for much conversation, just picks her up and carries her home.
0: Pat, this is John Willoughby.
1: John Willoughby is highly emotional. He loves all the same books as Marianne. He loves all the same music as Marianne. He doesn't believe in holding anything in. He feels that whatever he says must be right. And there's also a little air of mystery about him, too, because even though he acts like a man wildly in love, there's still something holding him back and we don't find out what it is right away.
0: Jennifer, another character with more sensibilities than sense?
1: Definitely. And Eleanor takes a dislike to him. It's sort of like a spidey sense. I think Eleanor's problem with John Willoughby and with her sister is that
2: they're so openly affectionate with each other, but they don't announce an engagement.
0: It offends her feelings of propriety.
2: It does. But also she's worried, I think, about her sister. And she tries to find out something about Willoughby's background. What kind of person is he really? And of course, Sir John Middleton only wants to talk about his pointers. Right. He's
0: got great dogs and can ride very well.
1: It's interesting to note that both of the men that we've met so far have a secret.
0: That's right. We've mentioned Colonel Brandon and John Willoughby, both of whom we know have secrets, although we don't really know what their secrets are yet. And now we're reintroduced to another character who we met very early on, Edward Ferris. He's the brother of Fanny Dashwood, the sister-in-law of Eleanor and Marianne. He comes to Barton Cottage looking for Eleanor, and he's got a secret as well.
2: Edward is very depressed that whole week, and in fact... When Eleanor and Edward were first forming their attachment back at Norland Estate, Eleanor often noticed that Edward would have periods where he was very distant from her. Now, during his visit at the cottage, he's very depressed and sad, and she doesn't know why.
0: But Eleanor's mother thinks she knows why.
2: Eleanor's mother is great. She's such a loving mother. She's not interested in Edward as a lover for Eleanor because of his potential fortune. Mrs. Dashwood makes the excuse for Edward that he's probably reticent because his mother Controls the fortune, and she would not approve of Eleanor. She already knows this because his sister told her this. That was part of the reason that they moved out of their previous home when they did.
1: The interesting thing about Edward is that Edward is the oldest son, so he would inherit the bulk of the estate. He has a younger brother, and he has his sister Fanny.
0: The younger brother's name is Robert Ferris.
1: The younger brother is Robert. Edward is not an ambitious man. It's not that he's lazy. His mother wants great things for him, and Edward is a very shy man, and this is not what he wants. Eleanor understands him and appreciates him for that. His sister, on the other hand, does not, nor does his mother.
0: But Jennifer, almost as quickly as Jane Austen introduces us to Colonel Brandon, to John Willoughby, and to Edward Ferris, gives us some intimations that there's some secrets or mysteries involving them. They all disappear. They all take off.
2: Colonel Brandon receives a message from London, and he's gone.
0: He won't tell anybody.
2: He won't tell anyone, but Mrs. Jennings thinks she knows. She claims he has a little love child, and it's this Miss Williams, this
1: young lady, that he's gone to attend to.
0: And John Willoughby takes off as well, Pat.
1: He does. Just when they think he's about to propose to Marianne, he suddenly becomes very distant, and they have a brief conversation, and he simply takes off, and Marianne is devastated. But she still believes that it must be something important or he wouldn't have left her.
2: Marianne is crying all the time. She's very distraught. Eleanor urges her mother to ask Marianne if they really are engaged, and her mother feels that it's something that she'll find out when Marianne feels ready to tell her.
0: And Edward, Jennifer?
2: And Edward just leaves with no place to go and no explanation. After a visit of a week, he just takes off.
0: So with all the women devastated by these men just taking off, hiding their secrets, leaving them with no explanations, no apologies, they decide that they're going to have a little bit of adventure of their own... They all decide to go to London.
1: Mrs. Jennings thinks it's very important for girls to have fun, so she decides that they're all going to head off to London. And she very
2: nicely offers to bring along Marianne and Eleanor and put them up at her house in town. She doesn't have to do this. This is a wonderful thing that she's doing. She's a very generous person, actually, as silly as
0: she is. All right, Jennifer, Pat, with the men gone, we meet two new characters in Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. And one of these characters might have an answer to one of our secrets, Lucy Steele.
1: That's right. The girls are invited over to Lady Middleton and Sir John's home for dinner and an evening of entertainment to kind of keep their spirits up, where they're introduced to two girls, the Steele sisters, Lucy and her sister Anne. And during the course of the evening... Lucy takes Eleanor aside and confides that she has a secret too.
0: And this is within two hours of meeting Eleanor, she's spilling her deepest, darkest secrets.
2: Lucy has an agenda. She's heard something about Eleanor that makes her very jealous. So she came here purposely to beat her and to tell her this secret.
0: And what is a secret?
2: She has been secretly engaged for four years to Edward Ferris. This is very difficult for Eleanor to take. And when Lucy's telling her this, she's trying as hard as she can to keep her countenance. We learn throughout the book that Eleanor is an expert at keeping control of her emotions. She
0: never loses outward control.
2: Well, she does a few times, but for the most part, she doesn't. At this point, she really needs all of her wits about her to control herself and to handle this conversation. At first, she doesn't believe Lucy, but Lucy, in further conversations over the next few days, reveals all sorts of information. For example, Lucy informs Eleanor that Edward wears a ring of her hair. She has a letter written by him, and Eleanor can see that it's definitely his handwriting. She has a lot of evidence behind her.
0: So in the midst of all these secrets kept and some secrets revealed, with the men all dashing off. We don't know where. Mrs. Jennings decides that the women need an adventure. Let's all go to London.
2: And she's very kind. She's very generous. She's going to open her house to Eleanor and Marianne. And Marianne hopes, in going to London, that maybe she'll run into Willoughby. Eleanor hopes to avoid Edward at all costs, now that she knows that he's engaged to another.
0: This sounds like it might be a very interesting trip to London.
1: This was party time. This was the social season. All the dances, all the parties, all the theater season... And Mrs. Jennings wants them to be in the middle of it so they can hunt for husbands.
0: But that's not why Eleanor and Marianne are going.
1: Marianne is going because she hopes
2: to run into Willoughby. She hasn't heard from him since he left. Eleanor is hoping not to run into Edward. So Eleanor has mixed feelings about going, but she cares so much about her sister and her sister's happiness that she knows that it's a good idea to go along. She
0: wants to be there in case Marianne does find John Willoughby. Maybe so. (laughs) Does she find John Willoughby in London?
2: Marianne writes him a letter as soon as she gets there. And that's one thing that makes Eleanor feel a little bit at ease, because if Marianne's writing him a letter, they must be engaged. Because in those days, men and women would not write letters to each other unless they were engaged or close family. So she sees that letter, but then Marianne never gets an answer. She expects to see Willoughby walk in the door at any moment. Someone comes to the door, and it turns out to be Colonel Brandon. She leaves the room very disappointed.
0: But, Pat, Mrs. Jennings has at least an explanation for why John Willoughby might not be in town.
1: Well, it's early spring, and it's hunting season, and she's convinced that because the weather is so good, all the sportsmen are hanging back in the country, and as soon as the weather changes, they'll come into town. This makes Marianne feel a lot better, but now she's watching the weather every day.
0: Not just the mailman. Yeah. <laughs> but the secret now that Marianne is keeping is actually straining the relationship between the two sisters.
2: Eleanor notices Marianne becoming more and more upset, and she finally is overcome by her curiosity and concern to try to ask her if she's expecting a letter, and Marianne won't tell her. So she says, Marianne, you have no confidence in me. Marianne says, Nay, Eleanor, this reproach from you, you who have confidence in no one. Me, returned Eleanor in some confusion. Indeed, Marianne, I have nothing to tell. Nor I, answered Marianne with energy. Our situations, then, are alike. We have neither of us anything to tell. You, because you communicate, and I, because I conceal nothing. Now, Eleanor doesn't realize that Marianne suspects that she has a secret. Marianne may just be talking about the fact that she doesn't share any information about her relationship with Edward any more than Marianne's sharing information about her relationship with Willoughby. But, of course, Eleanor has a deep secret, the secret that Lucy and Edward are engaged, and Lucy
1: has promised her to secrecy.
0: But, Pat, eventually Marianne does hear from John Willoughby.
1: Yes, he comes by when they're not at home. He leaves his card, so they know he's in town. And they don't hear from him again until they run into each other at a party.
0: That's not a good scene.
1: No, it's unfortunate because Eleanor spots Willoughby first. He is polite to her, but he keeps avoiding Marianne's eye.
0: He's polite, but he's not alone.
1: He's not alone. He's with another woman and a party of friends. Marianne is becoming increasingly agitated. She eventually becomes ill and has to leave the party.
0: Eleanor's afraid for her sister, isn't she?
1: She is because Marianne is just on the edge of hysteria and she's drawing attention to them, unwelcome attention. She's making herself the talk of the room. Eleanor has already written
2: home to her mother to tell her that Willoughby hasn't answered any of Marianne's letters and she's very concerned about her because she's been getting more and more depressed, more and more quiet. Early the next morning, Eleanor wakes up and finds Marianne already up, scribbling intensely, writing a letter again
1: to Willoughby. And she won't talk to Eleanor about what she's doing or what she's saying in it.
0: Again, more secrets. But these secrets are going to start to become unraveled.
1: Actually, today, because on this very day, she finally receives a letter from Willoughby. Inside it are all of the notes that she has sent to him, plus a lock of her hair, which she gave to him.
0: Which he had asked for. He He had had
1: asked for, and... The letter is absolutely cold. A little section of that letter is, and though I'm quite at a loss to discover at what point I could be so unfortunate to offend you, I entreat your forgiveness. I mean, those are not the words of a man who's in love with
0: you. Or ever was.
1: Or ever was. And Marianne is completely broken down by this. She's
2: crying, even screaming. Eleanor tries to comfort her, and Eleanor also is crying because she's also very upset. When she reads this letter, she's horrified. She has to read it again and again. And then she goes ahead and reads the other letters that he had enclosed that Marianne Marianne had written. And they're so innocent and so sweet. And she thinks to herself, how can a man answer such sweet letters with a cold answer like this?
0: And it's at this point where Marianne's friends, the Middletons, Mrs. Jennings, they sort of rally around her They actually go out and try to find out what the mystery is, what's going on with John Willoughby, why is he treating Marianne this way, and they come back with quite a story.
2: Well, Mrs. Jennings is a whirlwind of gossip everywhere she goes anyway. She finds out on the street that morning about the engagement the same time that Marianne's finding out in this letter.
0: But the secret and history of John Willoughby is not just that he's marrying a very rich woman, Sophia Gray. He's got other secrets, and this is how we get to Colonel Brandon's secret as well.
1: One of the things we learned about Willoughby is that he's a womanizer, and one of the people he's seduced is Colonel Brandon's ward.
0: And that's the secret Colonel Brandon has been keeping. This child, Eliza, is the child that Mrs. Jennings thought was Colonel Brandon's love child. It's actually his ward, a girl that he's been taking care of.
2: Colonel Brandon was very much in love with a young woman when he was young. His father wanted her fortune for his family and forced her to marry Colonel Brandon's older brother who stood to inherit the family fortune. Colonel Brandon went off and became a soldier, traveled around the world to avoid being around them. She was very unhappy. She actually left her husband, divorced him, which was terrible back in those days, and had a series of men after that. When Colonel Brandon came back from his service, he found her dying with a small child. And she gave him the care of this child. And that's his tragic secret. He was in love once in his life and has never found another woman to compare with her.
0: And how does John Willoughby fit in with Eliza, the colonel's ward?
2: John Willoughby has seduced her, left her pregnant and destitute.
0: And when Marianne hears not only that he's engaged to another woman, but that he may in fact be a seducer of young girls, she goes hysterical. Are there any repercussions for Colonel Brandon now that his secret is out?
2: Eleanor has always respected Colonel Brandon, but now she really has a deep esteem for him. Marianne begins to understand that he is a deep character and maybe begins to appreciate he's a little more of a romantic character than she had thought before.
1: I'm Alison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself. You'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. In the meantime, Willoughby and Miss Gray marry, and the Steeles come to town. They hadn't been there until that time. And once again,
2: Lucy Steele subjects Eleanor to all sorts of catty remarks every time they're around.
0: And this is the third secret. We've had John Willoughby's secrets come out. We've had Colonel Brandon's secrets come out. How does Edward's secret come out?
2: Lucy's older sister, Anne is so impressed with how favorably the Ferris family has taken to her and her sister Lucy that she thinks they'll be accepting of this engagement and one day she spills the beans and when that happens Fanny Dashwood is very upset. She kicks them out of her house where they've been staying and the news spreads all over town.
0: Right. If Fanny Dashwood thought that Edward's attachment to Eleanor Dashwood was going to be a problem, the attachment to Lucy Steele is really a problem.
2: Lucy and her sister are really low class. They're just at the very bottom edge of gentility. They're quite vulgar, which shows in their speech and their mannerisms.
0: And actually, at one point, Edward criticizes Lucy's letter-writing ability.
2: You know, it's not even her grammar that's so offensive. It's the double meanings and the sort of cruelty that she has. Has that he didn't recognize. Up until that point, he always thought she was just a sweet girl who wasn't real bright, wasn't
1: real educated. She's quite a shark. Edward's mother calls him in to see her and says, I'm going to give you one chance to break your engagement to Lucy Steele. And Edward, who has given his promise, feels that it's his obligation to keep his word. And so he says, I intend to marry this woman.
0: So he's being honorable to Lucy by being dishonorable to Eleanor.
1: Well, the engagement to Lucy came first.
0: We'll make this clear now. When Mrs. Ferris, when Edward's mother, finds out that he insists on going forward with the marriage to the lower-class Lucy Steele, she disinherits him.
1: She does, and she throws all the money over to his brother, Robert, who simply lives for pleasure. He's a silly and shallow man. His sole topic of conversation is himself, what he owns, what he has, and who he knows.
2: The first time we meet Robert, we don't know it's him yet, but Eleanor and Marianne are in the jewelry shop, and they have to wait an awful long time while this young man, argues and messes about over a toothpick case that he's ordering. It takes him half an hour (laughs) to define the qualities of the perfect toothpick case.
0: I think Eleanor calls him an epicurean. (laughs)
2: Yes. But he will fulfill his mother's expectations because he drives around town in a sharp carriage.
0: And actually what's going to turn out is we have one more secret. Robert now has a secret. I'm not going to tell that secret just yet because I want to get our ladies, Eleanor and Marianne, Mrs. Jennings and the Dashwoods, out of London. I want to start them on their way home.
1: Well, before they leave town, Colonel Brandon comes to call. He has the opportunity to provide Edward with a way of making his living. On his property, there is a church, and Edward has mentioned before that he'd really like to become a minister. So Colonel Brandon offers him this opportunity to work at this parish. This would also allow him to support a wife because, again, he has no money of his own. Unfortunately, Colonel Brandon asks Eleanor to tell
2: Edward this because she knows him so much better than he does. So she ends up having to tell Edward, this is how you're going to live. And now you can support a wife, Lucy Steele. And, of course, while she's telling Edward this, he says this is coming from Colonel Brandon and he begins to get jealous because he thinks maybe Colonel Brandon has some intentions about Eleanor. Eleanor can't dissuade them. Of course, if Edward and Lucy are going to be Living at the parish, there, the last place on earth she's going to want to live is right next door to them in the estate with Colonel Brandon. So she
1: thinks this is pretty funny. Everyone's trying to get her there, and she doesn't want to go there. Oh, in the meantime, Robert Ferris has been telling people that he really thinks that Lucy Steele is, to quote him, an awkward country girl, an unfortunate connection. So he knows that she's a low life and has made a big deal about how he can't stand her. But he has a secret.
0: But before we learn about Robert's secret, I think it's time to have our two sisters and Mrs. Jennings leave London and start on their journey home. Mrs. Jennings has a plan.
2: Mrs. Jennings' daughter, Charlotte Palmer, has invited Mrs. Jennings and the Dashwood girls to visit her at her home, which is called Cleveland. It's in the same county that Willoughby's estate
1: is located in. It's also on the way home to Barton Cottage, so the girls are going to take the long way home. And to be polite, they'll need to stay at Cleveland for about a week, and then they'll be able to get
2: home in a long day's carriage ride
1: from there. Right. Once they get to Cleveland... Mary Ann needs to get out, stretch her legs, and she's also a little curious about being able to see Willoughby's estate. She goes for a walk and gets caught in the rain and becomes ill. Very ill. Very ill. She gets worse by the day. The apothecary is called in, and he determines
2: that this may be infectious, so the family leaves. But Mrs. Jennings, as silly as she is and as teasing as she is, she turns out to be a true friend. She insists on staying to take care of the girls. Also, Colonel Brandon has shown up, and she asks him to stay as well. So the four of them are there with the servants, and Marianne is becoming very ill. Eleanor writes to her mother, but she downplays the illness. Eleanor, in keeping with her restraint, her self-restraint, and her lack of wanting to exaggerate anything, has decided that it's not really that bad. But
1: Mrs. Jennings seems to think it's pretty serious.
0: And again, Colonel Brandon comes to the rescue.
1: He proves himself their friend because he offers to go and get Marianne and Eleanor's mother and bring her to them.
0: He doesn't really offer. He just more or less jumps into a carriage and just leaves to get the mother.
1: Marianne has been delirious. She's been calling for her mother. And Eleanor finally, this
2: one day when Marianne really takes a turn for the worse, becomes very upset. Her misery is increased because she's been downplaying this illness this whole time.
1: In the meantime, the fever breaks, but not before we have another dramatic entrance. Eleanor expects... Colonel Brandon and her mother to appear at any time. The wind has picked up, it's pouring rain, and there's a knock at the door. Who walks in but Willoughby, and he's drunk, and he's upset. He's ridden through the rain, and he wants to know if Marianne's all right. He wants to justify his behavior. He wants to make it clear that the marriage was not what he had planned and that he is going to be suffering, and he wants to let Eleanor know that he really loved Marianne
0: Okay, and now wait, I know how this ends. Colonel Brandon comes in with the mother. Marianne recovers. Eleanor realizes that Colonel Brandon's a hero. They marry. He takes them all to his house. They live happily ever after.
2: No, no, no. That's not what
0: happens? (laughs) No. Okay, Jennifer, Pat, Hollywood endings aside, Colonel Brandon does get to the house with Mrs. Dashwood. Marianne continues to recover. They finally do get back to their cottage in Barton, but the story's not quite over. We still need to resolve one secret and it actually comes to us through a servant.
2: They were sitting around the dinner table one night, Mrs. Dashwood and the daughters, and the servant tells them Mr. Ferris is married now. Eleanor is shocked.
0: But the servant got the story a little wrong.
1: Right, they assume that the man in the carriage with Lucy is Edward, it's not. It's Robert.
0: And finally, the last secret's revealed.
2: And we find this out from Edward himself, who shows up at the cottage looking very ashamed of himself and embarrassed and comes into the room. And, of course, everyone still thinks that he's married to Lucy. So they start asking him, how's Mrs. Ferris, meaning Lucy? And he says, well, my mother's fine. He doesn't understand what they're talking about. Finally, it dawns on him that they think he's married to Lucy. And he tells them, You must be thinking of Mrs. Robert Ferris. Eleanor breaks down in tears. She has to leave the room. Edward realizes at this moment he's going to get his Eleanor. There's your Hollywood ending for Edward and Eleanor.
0: And Marianne as well. Let's not forget what happens to Marianne.
1: That's right. Colonel Brandon has been spending more and more time. She's seen his merit. He proposes and she marries him and... In addition to that, Edward reconciles a little bit with his mother. He does get some money from his mother. All he had to do was admit that he was wrong.
0: So I can say they live happily ever after. They do. You Outstanding. All right, before we finish up our novel conversation, what I would like is for you to share some passages or moments in the novel that maybe we haven't had a chance to talk about.
2: One of my favorite moments is when Eleanor and Marianne are going for a walk when Marianne's recovering from her illness. And Marianne is talking about how she wishes that she knew more about Willoughby and his feelings for her. She says, I wish his secret reflections may be no more unpleasant than my own. He will suffer enough in them. And Eleanor asks her, do you compare your conduct with his? And Marianne says, no, I compare it with what it ought to have been. I compare it with yours. And that just always makes me cry.
0: 15 times or 50? Every time. <laughs> Pat, do you have something?
1: Mr. Palmer is running for parliament. We love Mr. Palmer. He seems to be a very sour man who loathes his wife and loathes his mother-in-law. But he is aware that they're not really well-bred people. And there's one point where he's having dinner. Everybody is at the table, and his mother-in-law... Mrs. Jennings says, did I not tell you, Sir John, when you spoke to me about it before that it could not be done? They dined with us last. And Mrs. Jennings says, you and I, Sir John, should not stand upon such ceremony. Mr. Palmer speaks up and says, then you would be very ill-bred. My love, you contradict everyone, said his wife with her usual laugh. Do you know that you're quite rude? I didn't know I had contradicted anybody in calling your mother ill-bred.
0: I have one here that shows a bit of the gentle sarcasm, as I referred to it earlier on, by Jane Austen. She's talking about Barton Cottage. As a house, Barton Cottage, though small, was comfortable and compact. But as a cottage, it was defective, for the building was regular, the roof was tiled, the window shutters were not painted green, nor were the walls covered with honeysuckles. Now you're falling down English cottage.
2: Right. It's not romantic enough for Marianne, that's for sure. All
0: right, you know, before we wrap up, there was one quick thing I wanted to ask Jennifer. You mentioned early on that everyone always thinks it's Marianne that changes in this novel. She has more sense at the end of the novel than at the beginning of the novel. And that everyone always assumes that Eleanor doesn't really change throughout the novel, but you feel Eleanor does.
2: Yes, I think Eleanor learns that she has suffered by being as reserved and in control as she has been, especially there are two places that it happens. It's very subtle, but during Marianne's illness, her crisis at night, when Eleanor thinks that she's going to die, she seems to realize that the fact that she was minimizing the illness before was a terrible mistake, and she should have brought her mother sooner, and she feels very bad about that. And also, at the end of the book, when she's been holding back this secret, she's denied herself the love and affection of her mother. So I think there is a subtle change in Eleanor. It's not brought forward the way Marianne's change is brought forward, obviously. Marianne is just so excessive
1: that it's much more obvious with her.
0: Pat, let me ask you, did you see any growth... Or change in any of the men in our novel today?
1: Well, Willoughby really doesn't change. He is what he always was. And in fact, one of the characters comments, he is what he always was. Right. Colonel Brandon begins to open. And it's not about Marianne. It's about getting rid of that secret and realizing that he can be honest with people. Edward also realizes that his concealment is not worthy of him, that he almost lost everything, and not the financial part of his life. He almost lost the thing he loved most by being secretive. And I don't think he blames himself for being noble about it, But Lucy wasn't worth it, and he realizes this long, long ago. But he can't seem to make the distinction between duty and obligation.
0: Okay. I think on that note, that's where we're going to end our conversation today about the novel Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Pat and Jennifer, I want to thank both of you for coming in and talking to me today. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm joined now by our author and researcher, Ted Schwartz, for our endnote segment. Ted, how are you doing? Great. How are you? Very good. Listen, i got to get right to these questions I have about Jane Austen and her novel. She published this novel, Sense and Sensibility, anonymously, basically by a lady. Didn't she want to be rich and famous?
3: She never wanted to do anything but write. All her books were published anonymously, and it probably affected her income greatly and her fame at the time, which wasn't much of anything.
0: Well, then why was she a writer?
3: She couldn't not. She had been writing little chapbooks and things from the time she was very young. A lot of them survived, kept by the family. But we're talking well before 14, 15, 16 years of age.
0: Well, that's right. I understand she started this novel in about 1797, and it wasn't published until 1811. Was she writing it that long?
3: No, she was rewriting it. She was writing other work. For example, I found a play she wrote as a teenager, So she was doing a lot of writing, a lot of polishing. She was very serious about the craft, very serious about doing the best of which she was capable.
0: Well, if she didn't want to be famous or rich,
3: did she become famous and rich with this publication? She made about a quarter of the family's income. She made 140 pounds. The family was making about 450 pounds. It was expected at her level, had her father not died, she should have been making about 650 pounds to support the family. None of that ever happened. And she was so disappointed with what she earned, since it took so long, that for her second book, she asked to just sell the copyright outright and get paid in advance.
0: Right. Her second novel, Pride and Prejudice, was published just two years later. And it referred back to this novel, didn't it?
3: They were both being written at the same time. These were not successive novels. She was going back and forth, polishing both of them. Sense and Sensibility was done first.
0: I also noticed she only lived about 42 years. She died in 1817.
3: Yeah, she had an immune deficiency disorder. It's been called a number of different things, but there was no question that she was getting more and more tired as the years passed, less and less able to do much of anything but be an observer, which was her brilliance.
0: But you're telling me most of her writing was really done early on in her life, and then it was revised, rewritten, collected, published?
3: No, she was writing constantly, but she was a serious writer, so she was constantly polishing, and when something was ready to go, for publication, she'd send it off. So she might be writing for several years, but she also had current work that she was just starting.
0: Well, Ted, I understand that she was being secretive and perhaps not seeking fame from the publishing world, but she was even secretive with her writing at home.
3: Yes, yeah, she wasn't concerned that the family not know she was writing. She was concerned that they saw a work in progress that wasn't ready. So at one point, she had an office room with a door that was far enough back that if you opened it you couldn't quite see what she was doing and that door creaked. She insisted it not be repaired So that any time anyone came in, she'd hear the door before they could see her work. She had a piece of paper, she'd slip over the current writing. She wasn't hiding that she wrote. She didn't want them to see work in progress.
0: You know, Ted, that's a great detail. And that's why I love having you in for our end notes on these novel conversations. Because you always bring something that I know our listeners will be fascinated to hear. And myself included. Well, again, I want to thank you for bringing your end notes to today's novel conversation about the novel Sense and Sensibility by Jane Austen. Thank you. I also want to thank our readers today, Jennifer Weinbrecht and Patricia Fernberg, for coming in and having today's novel conversation. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. Until next time, I hope you find yourself in a novel conversation. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app